Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everybody, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cami Black. Joining me this evening, we have Johnny McGinty. Good evening, Johnny. Johnny, I lost hello, you there for a moment. That might be my end. Do you want to say hello? There you go. Johnny's saying hello now. Hello, Johnny. Yes, uh, we're hello, hopefully having uh, a, a Rory Baldwin. Hello, good evening. That's fine. <laughs> We'll also hopefully have Rory Baldwin joining us at some point. We're also joined by uh, Nix Johnson, for, who is a member of Progressive Rugby, which is a not-for-profit player welfare lobby group. I've got that right, haven't I, Nix? You have, yes. You have got that right. Good. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you are watching live, you'll be watching us currently on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. You can also watch a live stream on our Patreon, which if you go to uh, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast for three pounds a month. You can sign up and you get a bonus weekly episode where we do some swearing and we talk about what sandwich fillings we like, Johnny. We do. And I always feel like we should say that it's like related swearing. We don't just start shouting naughty words for no reason. No, that's true. Yeah, we no, don't. They always fit into a sentence. <laughs> Depend, depending on who's on that week, it can feel a little bit like a release valve. Though going into that section of the podcast, yeah. This section, however, is is generally swear free. We will say um, this is not technically pre watched but this is the more family friendly side of the podcast. So this week, um, what we would like to have been doing is a full hour on nothing but the Calcutta Cup. We could have done a full hour on Duhan's first try alone. However, as I said last week, we don't want to be here. We don't really want to be talking about the issues we're going to talk about, but we think they're important to talk about. So um, in the news this week, and it will lead us on to some of the the, the main issue we want to talk about this week, uh, the SRU this week launched a TELUS campaign, which is an email address that people can use 
to report sexism, misogyny, uh, homophobia, and racism. Now, um, it might appear to the outside world, Nick's, that this is kind of just randomly throwing an email address at a much wider, more systemic problem. I think to give them their credit, it does appear to be something that has, was being worked on behind the scenes. But I suppose the optics of it don't look particularly good when you look at what how the WRU have responded to issues within Welsh rugby, which has been probably more cutthroat. I think it's 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 a really difficult one. I mean, the Welsh Rugby Union, I don't even know where you start solving those problems. I mean, that is just something else. Um, I mean, my not my beef, but my concern about the email address is it's very easy to put an email address in place, but what is the process and the procedure that's going to back it up? Um, and how is it going to be bedded in? And okay, they've announced it and it's on social media, but it's going to take a wee while before people trust it and trust the system. And then, you know, if somebody emails them and reports sexism or, as you said, racism, homophobia, just general bigotry, um, is it really confidential? I mean, they're saying it's going to be confidential, but can they guarantee that? And what are they actually going to do with that information? Um, I mean, I think it's that's the proof is going to be in the pudding, I suppose. You know, what actions will they take? Because we've seen what I think it's Liberton, the ladies' rugby team. And I mean, there's, there's been a lot of noise around that, but and the SRU saying that's not acceptable, but I don't see them actually doing anything. And I'm not, to be fair, I'm not actually sure what they can do about it. Um, it's a really tricky one. Yeah, and Johnny, we've we've certainly, when we've talked, particularly in the past about racism, where a few seasons ago there was it kind of uh, flared up a little bit, and we, we were talking about that on the podcast and on the blog, and we, we were contacted by a few people with their stories of, of of what had happened to them and even what had happened to their children in Scottish rugby, um, and we reached out to the SRU kind of through the back channels just to say, look, what what should people do? We we've got these people who are contacting us. Is there any where we should tell them to go? And and the answer was really. They need to go to their regional rep, but that's that's quite a hard thing to tell people. And it's probably that kind of I, I, you know, Scottish rugby is a small world, isn't it? Ultimately, it's it's a you know we're we're a village compared to kind of you know the, the cities in England where people can maybe fly under the radar a little bit more. It might be less obvious who who's raising the issues, but an email doesn't necessarily solve those problems. That whatever you do, you are sticking your head above the parapet and sticking your head above the parapet as a victim is a really challenging thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's sort of uh, where what's happened the last couple of weeks with the SRU and the WRU stuff diverges, is that all the WRU stuff was in their head office and WRU employees, whereas at the moment the focus in Scotland seems to be on the grassroots game and on our local clubs. Um, which makes it, I think, a little bit more difficult for the SRU because the SRU can't just do what the WRU did and go, right, okay, we're going to root out the bad apples in our organisation and get rid of them because it's it's technically not their organisation. And I think, like you say, from the victim's point of view, that makes it all the more difficult because if you're going to report this stuff happening either in your club or in a club that you're playing against, we are a small country, 
we're, we're talking about small clubs that are in small towns that are usually quite close together. And they're going to, everyone's going to know who reported it. And then that becomes a problem for you either within your own club or when you go to play against other teams because everyone knows it's you. It's not a great look. No. And, and you know, next Johnny's talking about grassroots rugby and the issues in grassroots rugby. But interestingly, with some of the tweets the SRU put out, um, and they have pushed this, you know, this this wouldn't have been all single. This wouldn't have been on Twitter normally. It would have been a something on the website something punted out to clubs. This wouldn't normally have been something on the website. I don't even think the announcement of the, um, it's the Scottish um, women's development manager. That's not something that you would normally see pushed on Twitter either, but it seems you wonder, looking at some of those, there was a couple of tweets saying, how do I report our CEO to the, you know, through that system? And there is, you know, we, we talk about, yeah, it's a problem at grassroots, but there is this, lingering kind of doubt around the, how things have been dealt with, particularly with Siobhan, the Siobhan Cattigan incident, that the, the Siobhan Cattigan's passing, I suppose, and the way that's been dealt with by the SRU, that the question is, would this have happened if it was a male international player? And the answer is ultimately no. We, we wouldn't have, you wouldn't see the CEO celebrating a Calcutta Cup win whilst having the death of a male player and questions of love around that hanging over them. And it almost seems like they continue to hope it goes away. And underneath that, it, there has to be a level of unconscious misogyny almost within the top. And it, it's quite hard to root that out because nobody's going to ever say, yes, I'm a misogynist or yes, I'm sexist. But but it, it, there is this impression that, that that's there somewhere within the SRU as an organisation. I think, I think the way that women's rugby has developed and the fact that they are only just contracted there is institutional sexism or misogyny however however you want to phrase it um just with things like access to medical care and as you said i mean if what happened to siobhan had happened to stuart hogg or finn russell well we wouldn't be having this discussion because it wouldn't have happened it's i think sadly it's it's that simple and that's not a criticism of medical care because I don't know what medical care Siobhan received but I think I think that um, I think that an inquiry would have happened already had it been a male player I think the SRU are almost paralyzed and trying to kick the can down the road so that somebody else has to deal with it because they just don't know what to do which is absolutely no excuse and some of their behavior quite frankly has just been callous and really quite cruel. Um, but I think um, when I was thinking about this pod, I was thinking about the incident that happened in the summer when Bill Mitchell from Rugby Players Scotland made that comment in an interview and claimed to be speaking for all of the Scottish women's squad preparing for the World Cup. And then they all came out with exactly the same tweet and it was all to do with, with Siobhan. And that was really, that made me, I was so angry about that um, because it did seem to be that he was just trying to make himself relevant and insert himself in the conversation. Um, and certainly in England, there is now a separate um, Players Association for Women. And I think in Scotland, we desperately need that. Um, the women's game is at a totally different 
stage of development to the men's game when you're looking at things like contracts, how much people are paid, the resources available to them, the medical care available to them. Uh, and I think that's something that needs to be put in place and then to then force the SRU to address these issues because there are clear disparities there. And it's I don't think it's giving them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's the way that things have evolved. But unless it's actually properly challenged, it's going to continue. Yeah. And that's that's the that's that's the response. I think that's what everybody is upset about, Johnny, isn't it? It's they, they went straight to saying this is something that needs settled by in, in court. And you can't you know, the, the court will look at liability. It's not going to say what's happened. And, and this is a family who are just asking for answers. They just want to understand what happened and why Siobhan wasn't given the help that she should have been given. And they're not even looking to kind of apportion blame on any individual. It's just looking, well, how was she failed by the system? Let's understand it. Let's make things better. But, you know, you've got Mark Dodson cancelling two meetings on 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 our local MSP, including one, and the reason given, according to the family, was that he was too busy preparing for the Six Nations. Yeah, and before before we start on any of the the rest of it and any of the really important stuff, um, I don't think you're doing your job as a CEO very well if you're hands on involved in getting ready for the Six Nations. Like, surely the whole point of being the CEO is that you have you hire the staff that could do the Six Nations for you. Like, I, I doubt taking tickets on Saturday or anything. I think that's a bit of a weak excuse for a start. Um, and secondly, you know, you're you're absolutely right. I think Siobhan's family are, are rightly really, really angry, but they don't come across, or they didn't to begin with, it's changed a little bit now, understandably, but to begin with, they didn't really come across as angry at anyone in the SRU. They, they came across as being angry at the situation and wanting to understand it. And how many times have we said this when it comes to, to SRU stuff? Like, if they'd dealt with it properly at the beginning, the first time it came up, that's yet another reason why we wouldn't be sat here having this conversation. Because their comms and their management of the situation when it first appeared was atrocious. And that's snowballed from there into the situation we're in now where Mark Dodds is getting hounded by an MSP. And like, I know we said it's a slightly different situation when it comes to the sort of sexism and things a minute ago, but if you look at the WRU, that's a, a good indication of how badly wrong it goes very, very quickly once your politicians start getting involved. Like if I was the SRU, I'd be looking at that going, okay, we need to stop. We need to stop this political involvement right now. Because that will go bad for them really quick. And in terms of the inquiry, Nick, I think quite rightly, there's a number of quite serious questions being raised about how that's happening. Because you've got an inter, it's internal, it's not independent. We don't know who's doing it. They've said the most recent quote was, "It takes more than a couple of weeks to do this." You know, it's like well, you've had months now. And also, we've got the family saying, "We nobody's ever told, nobody's come to us, nobody's asked us," and you you can't do. An inquiry, whether it's independent or not, without speaking to the victim, the victim's family, those those people who are affected by what you're investigating, because they, they might have evidence that the SRU doesn't. They'd be able to offer perspectives. The SRU didn't. Nobody from the SRU has saw Siobhan's deterioration in, in that time. And, and so it seems, again, that the yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's a a proper 
inquiry into what's gone wrong if, if the family being left out of it? It's not even that. I mean, it's what you said about internal. So my, again, I'm not a medic and I would never criticise James Robson or his team. But if you're looking at the medical care that Siobhan received, you want somebody external looking at that, somebody with a completely fresh pair of eyes. You want somebody, I mean, I think just from a common sense perspective, you want somebody that's totally detached from the situation and totally neutral. And I mean, just optics, speak to the family, even if they have got nothing that is going to change the outcome of the inquiry, they've got no new information, talk to them and keep them in the loop. I mean, it's just, yeah, the, the comms and the optics on this are appalling. And it's symptomatic, I think, sometimes of the SRU going immediately on the defensive. I mean, we saw it with the typhoon in Japan. We saw it with the Keith Russell affair. I don't think an inquiry in this case, it's not a witch, witch hunt, and it certainly shouldn't be a witch hunt. It should be looking at what happened, looking at what possibly didn't work as well as it should have done, looking at things like disparities in access to medical care or, you know, just just looking at it and going, okay, what can we learn from this? What can we possibly change? Something like there's the allegation that... um, when Siobhan was having an HIA, she could hear something over the um, over the doctor's headpiece. Um, now, whether or not she did, I've got no idea. Um, she said she did. Um, Brian Eason said he didn't say that. You know, he may have said it and it wasn't directed at her. We, we don't know. You know, it's one person's word against another. And one person, very sadly, isn't here to state her case. But you just think, well, OK, so that could be an issue. So... Why not switch off the comms when somebody's having an HIA? There you go. That's that's one lesson learnt. And that's I just I don't see why the SRU are constantly going on the defensive when actually there could be a lot of valuable things to learn from this to prevent something like this from happening again. That's it, I think. And yeah. like we would all as of Monday morning. Gregor Townsend, the coaching staff and the playing staff will have been in video analysis meetings saying what went wrong in our game plan on Saturday. Now, we'll get onto it later, but but probably not a huge amount. If we expect that from the coaching staff and the playing staff to look at things and say, we need to analyse how this has gone wrong to so we can improve it for the future, we should expect it from everyone. We're talking about something significantly more serious than bits of your game you didn't get right, but it's the, exactly the same principle, so why would we not expect it? And the, and the other thing you and said just, about Mark Dodson in this meeting with the MSP, you know, Scottish rugby got a huge amount of money from the Scottish government during COVID. You don't, you don't cancel or postpone a meeting with an MSP. You sit down and you get it over and done with as quickly as possible and you get out of there. But to give them the ammunition to go to the press and say, he's can't, you know, he's postponed a meeting twice and these are the excuses he's giving. I was just sitting there going, oh, my God, who is running your diary and who is sorting you out? And is there not somebody in the office who goes, that's really not a good idea. Just sit down, shut up and get on with it. Which I think, it, the, the and we've talked about this for a number of years on this podcast. And and um, we've got a comment from Bob who says it should be called the Anti-Scottish Rugby Podcast. What what we would stress is what we're talking about here is the SRU. And, and we're very keen on the podcast to separate. The SRU is not Scottish Rugby. The, the SRU is the, the corporate body that, runs 
run Scottish rugby. That that's who we're critical of here. Scottish rugby, we've, you know, we, we're all fans of Scottish rugby and we want it to do well. What we're not fans of is necessarily the way it's being run. So that that's that's why we we we've opened the pod with with this and these are important issues to discuss. I think overall, it's just it's another indication of the kind of poor corporate governance at the SRU, the poor corporate health that there has been for a number of years. And for all the, you know, the paraded out successes of, well, you know, on, on the pitch they're doing well, we've, we, we financially were, were the most you know, stable as a union. That's all well and good, but it, it, it means nothing, Nick, if at the heart of that are kind of, you've, you've got somebody essentially kind of blundering their way through and kind of with their fingers in their ear, ignoring everything around them. So I'm, I'm not sure how far advanced the changes are. But as of the 1st of November last year, um, Professor Lorne Carrer is now the boss. So I have to think of how to explain this. So what we are referring to as the SRU is now Scottish Rugby Limited. And what mm-hmm. was the council is now the Scottish Rugby Union. And that is basically being led by Professor Lorne Carrer who I think it would be fair to say, I mean, first of all, he's very experienced. He's a former referee. He's done a huge amount in sports law and in and in business. Um, he also, I think it would be fair to say, does not suffer fools gladly. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all of this develops over the next few months as he is able to change things and he's able to put people in place who can change things but it should also be emphasized that the people who sit on what was the council and is now the Scottish Rugby Union um, most of them are voluntary so they're not bringing in the big bucks like Dodson and John Jeffrey um, all the other the other and I've got no issue with people being paid to do a job I might have a little bit of an issue with how much some of them are being paid in comparison to their peer group. Um, But, you know, I mean, the finances, to be fair, they're they're not as good as you had to read the the finer detail in the the reports and accounts. And it was there. They're not quite as healthy as they would like you to think they are, but they could be a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the main thing this weekend we've got Scotland versus Wales and it's um, Alan McDonald who's um, be, one of our patrons and, and has been on the podcast in the in the past has led this campaign for the for an eighth minute ovation and would be at pains to say it's not about blame mm. it's about um, saying that the SRU needs to do more and and remembering Siobhan Johnny and and I think. It's interesting. We saw in we've talked about this last week a little bit, but we saw it in the autumn building from uh you could hear it in that first game to it being mentioned on the combs and being much louder. Now that's on Amazon. It's probably got a viewership of a hundred, few hundred thousand of that. This is the Six Nations. It's it's BBC at the weekend. We we've already seen, I mean, you know, I've I've just watched Squidge Squidge's preview of the uh sorry, review of the Calcutta Cup. He's got it. At the, he's got the eighth minute ovation. He's got reference to Siobhan and, and Mark Dodson at the end of his video. This isn't something that's going away for the SRU and they can kick into the long grass. The eighth minute ovation is going to be big at the weekend. It's likely to be picked up on comms again. It, the longer it goes on, the, the, the biggest source of embarrassment it is for for the SRU and, and the more people are going to talk about it. Yeah, and, and this is just another one of the, the sort of many bits of this that, that we've talked about is that 
one of the initial sort of catalysts for Alan and for others wanting to do that is that Siobhan's never been properly remembered and recognised at Murrayfield. And so they started that idea as a way to sort of celebrate her and, like you say, remember remember her life. And it's now grown into the fact that it was mentioned on comms in the autumn. It's been mentioned in the press loads. Most of the major papers have picked it up. And every time it happens now, as well as being a really nice way to remember Siobhan, it is a way for people in the press to say, oh, and this has happened because the SRU haven't done anything about it. And they could put her picture up on the screen. They, they put, was it the Argentina game we were at? And they, they put up, quite ironically, uh, a memorial for for an old team doctor. Oh, but yeah, for not had one. Yeah, Donald yeah, McLeod, yeah. not had one yet. And that's where it started. And again, I think maybe if she had had a proper memorial at a game, then this eighth-minute ovation thing might not have started. And that's just another incident of just dropping the ball and things that, that they really should be doing and it would be really, really simple and straightforward to do. It almost, feels, that it almost feels next to know that now it's too late now because if they do it, say they do it at the weekend during the Wales game, it's the eighth motivation and they put Siobhan's picture on, on the screen. As, as, as nice a touch as that would be, it's too late because it's... It, 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 what I can't see, I can't see where the SR you go from here because there isn't, there is no way out of this other than a complete and open right. We're going to pull back the curtain on this and be completely open about it. But I think they've they've dug themselves in so deep and now have legal action against them that, that seems completely avoidable. There is no way out for the SRU in which they, in any way, save face that I can see. I think you're absolutely right, and I think yeah, I mean it would look. If they if they did a tribute to Siobhan now, it would I don't know it would it wouldn't feel genuine. Mm-hmm. It would, and I I think that's desperately sad because I mean you know I'm thinking there might be a tribute on Saturday to Kenny Scotland who was fabulous. Don't get me wrong, but what about Siobhan? And you know I mean all I really felt for her parents when Doddy Weir died and all the accolades and everything on the SRU website. And again, don't get me wrong, Doddy deserved everything and 10 times more, but nothing for Siobhan. It just really doesn't sit well with me. But I think, I mean, to be honest, I think the only way they can get out of this now is, as you said, a completely independent, you know, um, I mean, a bit like the inquiry into racism in Scottish cricket. It needs to be totally independent and it needs to be completely transparent but I think they need to start publicly apologising and, you know, putting their hands up and going, we are really sorry. We got this so wrong. We have behaved appallingly. I don't see yeah. that happening. No, I don't see it happening either. And I think it needs almost something quite drastic, Johnny. And I'm not, you know, it almost needs a kind of resignation somewhere. And the worry would be that what we're going to see is a resignation lower down the ranks as opposed to the resignation that really needs to happen which is probably the man at the top yeah yeah and again drawing parallels to a totally different situation but that's that's what ended up happening in the WRU and that was after five or six days of completely mishandling an equally serious situation we are now on what four months and it's just 
it would have been so much better for everyone for it to have been handled properly at the start. I mean, ideally, I mean, it would have been handled properly in the, the days and weeks after Siobhan got injured. But at any point from that point to this point, this could have all been prevented. And yet it just keeps getting worse. And something I really don't understand and which I find incredibly frustrating, why did they not handle it properly or just with some compassion and some empathy from the outset? And that's, I mean, I just, yeah, it just <laughs> infuriates me and frustrates me because actually something like, yeah, it's not easy to handle. And I understand that they didn't want to hang people out to dry. But then I think that is also symptomatic of the culture in the SRU, that that's the that's what they went back to. That, you know, we I think it was John Jeffrey said, we have to look after our people. Well, first of all, Siobhan was one of their people. And secondly, it was like, Nobody's actually on the attack here. So why are you getting so defensive? And I think it, I, I genuinely think it does speak to the culture that's going on, certainly at senior level in the SRU. Yeah, and I think it speaks to the culture inside the SRU that people would feel attacked. If, you, if you're reviewing what's happened, you review the actions of the organisation. And yes, the individuals make up the organisation, but it's always an investigation of the organisational actions, not the individuals. There may have been individual mistakes along the way, but that's you can always tie that back to either a lack of supervision, a lack of training, a lack of something that the organization failed to do that meant that that person acted in that way. And that's not necessarily always the individual's fault. It's because they didn't have the training, they didn't have the support or the supervision in place. So I think it speaks to the culture that the automatic thing is, oh, we don't want anybody to feel overtly stressed by the fact that somebody has died. It's That's not yeah. that's not an answer. We, we need to know the underlying reasons. Yeah, I don't We've, think for a second that there was anything either malicious or dangerously negligent done by anybody in the SRU. And I don't think anyone's saying that. I don't think Siobhan's parents are saying that. I don't think anybody in government's saying that. I don't think anybody thinks that for a second other than people in the SRU to see, who seem to have this impression that people are coming after them. And, and you're absolutely right, Cammy. What's going to happen is that even if there were mistakes, it's going to say, okay, well, this is a mistake. It was allowed to happen because of this within our structures or this within our procedures. So we're going to stop that. And that's what they need to do. They need, all they need to do, or needed to do, it's, get, it's, it's got maybe a bit past that now, but what they needed to do is review their structures, review their procedures, figure out what went wrong and why, and fix it. That's all anybody wanted. And they that's what they should have done a long time ago, and it's got to this point now because they just refused to do it. And you can argue that they are not protecting, by not having an independent inquiry, they're not protecting their staff. Because exactly as you say, it's going to come, to, you know, any mistakes or whatever happened, it's going to come down to a lack of training or a lack of support or a lack of supervision. And you're leaving your staff very exposed at the moment. And I'm sure some of them are thinking, well, you know, if we sorted this procedure or if we changed that, it would be better. But they cut, their hands are tied and they can't say anything. And they're also, yeah. you know, people are wondering, people are... It's still being talked about and there's no resolution. And that cannot be fun. You know, if you're involved with that, that cannot be fun at the moment. It's been going on now for 16 months and it must be really quite unpleasant. Yeah. I actually felt quite bad for Gav Scott, who who, who announced the launch of the, um, you know, the, the Talos email address, because it's obviously something that he'd been working on and identified needed to happen. But it's just complete. That could have been a really genuinely quite a good thing for the SRU to launch. But it's it's kind of lost in in everything else that's happening at the minute and 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 
as we said at the start, looks looks like a kind of bit of an afterthought to a much bigger issue. And I'm sure it wasn't because it must have taken some time to put into place. And there, you know, there will be an underlying procedure, but it is going to, you know, how well it works will depend on how good this procedure is. And yeah, I mean, as we said, you know, Scottish rugby is a small place. It's going to be really difficult to keep stuff confidential. Yeah. Well, look, if you're going to the match this weekend, please do take part in the eighth minute evasion for Siobhan. If you have Welsh friends who are coming to the match or know anybody who is a Welsh fan who's coming, please tell them about it. Spread the word. Um, do do take part. And, and that will be continuing throughout the uh, rest of the tournament for, for the Scotland home games. Speaking of which, and speaking of the Wales game, um, we, we we can move on now and, and talk about the rugby itself. Hello, Rory. Rory Baldwin has joined us. Hello, Rory. Hello, everyone. How are you? Can you hear me? It's, we can hear you fine, Rory. You sound you sound lovely. Thank you. Um, I'll try not to speak in the monotone. That's okay. <laughs> we'll... Um, both teams are out now we're recording on a thursday this doesn't normally happen to us we've got both the welsh team and the scottish team rory i'll I'll start with you um is it me or um uh, have we got the right to feel confident given that wales have completely kind of torn everything up and seem to have just started again with an entirely new lineup uh yes and no the big caveat being that we are in scotland so we have no right to feel confident about anything ever, which I'm sure we'll, um, we'll discuss at length. I mean, looking at the team on paper, uh, the you know you guys who watch a bit more of the URC than me will probably uh, be more familiar with some of those Welsh players. But yeah, they've they've sort of um, they've thrown away a a big chunk of experience and replaced it with. I guess a similar thing to what Borthwick was doing last weekend, which is the the guys that are that are in form, that are younger, and presumably are going to be perceived as as hungrier to perform, not sort of jaded old old farts like uh, Alan Wynne Jones. Um, but whether that's actually going to work, um, and whether Scotland, I mean, it's all it's almost like it doesn't really matter what team Wales pick. Um, it's and it doesn't really matter what team Scotland pick. It's about what whichever Scotland team goes out on the park, how they approach the game mentally, given the history of Scotland winning the opening two fixtures of the tournament, which they haven't done since it's been the Six Nations. Yeah, and Nick's it was interesting. I think at the weekend one we've we've done a number of postcard cup uh, podcasts now where we've been celebrating a, a famous win. And this feels like a famous win, but I think the fact, even the fact that we, you know, we've dedicated the start of this podcast to something else, it, there was a workman likeness about it. There were, you know, the players were obviously celebrating at the end, but they were subdued. They were focused on the next. We didn't have Xander Ferguson going on rugby tonight talking about ripping the uh, ripping the butt, buttocks off it um, that that evening. It it felt almost. Even watching the game, Scotland expected to win. They were happy to be in the game. They they they, they seem a little bit more used to winning. Wales is maybe a bit more of a bogey team, though, and I don't know if that's if that's maybe just a fan thing or whether it's it's whether the players will feel that too. I I read something at the weekend after we'd won the Calcutta Cup, um, saying that we've got a good chance as long as we don't get any yellow or red cards, which took me back to that game in twenty fourteen and. 
there was a game in what 2004 when Scott Murray got sent off and yeah was it it was Xander Fagerson who got sent off yeah yeah 2021 I was I was just like oh don't don't say things like that to me I mean it's a, it's a tricky one um it, it did Saturday felt clinical uh I noticed that um Aaron Walsh who is a Kiwi sports psychologist is working with the Scotland team and I think you could really see his impact on Saturday, especially when we were a couple of points behind and everybody just, the head stayed up, everybody stayed calm. And that's when Duhan's second try came in. Um, and it was as well, it was just the the calmness and clinical and Russell having a wee shove off Owen Farrell, which made me laugh. Um, but yeah, Saturday, you know, it's it's Gatlin's Wales. It's It's scary. I hope they don't feel, I hope the Scotland team don't feel like that. I hope it's just the fans. I hope they're feeling confident because I think they should. They played really, really well on Saturday. Um, Johnny, the one change for Scotland is Xander Ferguson coming in. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you your opportunity now to kind of uh, push back at the haters. But there's been a lot of suggestions online by people who, who um, haven't even uh, bothered to even Google this, but who think that Xander Ferguson is a liability. And I think, as Nick said, that there was that red card in 2021 and yeah. we see him getting involved in the Zan bags and I think you know he may have had a, the odd card here or there but generally I think if you look at the stats and I know you've looked at this Xander's discipline's no worse than anybody else's no it's not um he very rarely gets penalized for the Zan bags by the way um he he's a master at not going far enough to give a penalty He's he's quite often won the occasional penalty from it as well because he's a he's a hell of a wind up merchant. Um, I said to you earlier, and I, I know I said to you and Rory earlier not to repeat it outside of the room, but I'm going to say it anyway. His red card in 2021 was on the backs; it wasn't on him because the reason he got that red card is he ended up steaming into that rock from 25 yards away because there wasn't a back with I think it was Chris Harris to secure the ball, and Xander ended up steaming into a rock that was already lost. Now, that's not going to happen as much this weekend. I think the backs are better drilled. We've got backs now who are more prepared to get involved in, in securing ball. I don't think I think that was a one-off. I don't think it's going to happen again. And also, I've, the really, really famous thing about Xander, which is for someone his age, I think shows maturity beyond his age, is that we know we all know that he quite often gives up a penalty in the first scrum because his theory is he's going to go into that scrum and find out what he can get away with. And then it, it doesn't happen very often after that. Like, he, he he pushes it right to the limit, the first scrum, every single game. And then he knows where the line is, and then it, and he works around it. It's, and it's just actually, I think, really smart play. And if he gives up a penalty in the very first scrum, as long as it's not on our five or anything, I think if it helps, for, for the advantage it gives him for the rest of the game, it's worth it. I think it's just... It's just a it's just a lazy thing that people have started coming up with because of the reputation that Xander's got, and I don't think it's fair at all. Yeah, and and Rory, you know, we 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 saw I think in the autumn that resilience in Scotland in the New Zealand game particularly, and you know, obviously Doddy appearing at the sidelines had has had an influence in two um, games against the All Blacks in recent history, but this weekend. And you know, I'd, again, I'm being accused by Alan Kerr of the of of, uh, of the blog of um, of jinxing things. But the narrative around this game against Wales 
it's the first time that Scotland have played for the Doddy Cup, the Doddy Weir Cup at Murrayfield since Doddy Weir passed away. Now, they've used that energy before as a team, and it's Gregor Townsend talked in the build up to this that they're using it again this weekend. That can go two ways with Scotland. It can have the effect, the impact, the All Blacks effect, in which we, you know, played random course twice, or it can have the heads are gone in the first five minutes effect because everybody's crying at the anthems and the heads go and everyone's a bit too pumped up. Like Nick said, if if they work, if they finally kind of crack that we need to get a sports psychologist in because that's what everybody else is doing, that might. It, we might we might be okay i guess yeah i mean and that that's something that you've been uh checking for for long enough is uh someone to to shrink their heads uh i mean the yeah the the doddy kind of thing can can give them an energy to feed off but then if you look at that new zealand game in the autumn they lost two tries in the first 10 minutes or something didn't they i mean they were they were certainly down two tries early on so i would like to think that if Scotland went lost the head in the first ten minutes because they were emotional, that they have it in them to claw those two tries back from Wales. If they can claw them back from the All Blacks, um, you would uh, you would you would hope that. I mean, the, one of the things they don't seem to have a problem with, which kind of reminds me of, I guess it was maybe the start of Tunis' reign, the kind of end of Fern's reign when Scotland were similarly playing really good attacking rugby, and you didn't really worry about them scoring tries because obviously for so many years we were. You know, terrible at scoring any sort of tries. You'd get a a, a close a, a pick over, pick and go mall from the occasional Nathan Hines or Jim Hamilton, but we had, you know we couldn't buy them. Uh, and then there was that period where you just thought, actually, no, we can we can score a try to get back in here. And I think they're they're Scotland are back playing that sort of rugby again, where they can where you don't you're not too worried about them them scoring. You're maybe wor- you are worried about discipline. Um, and that was something I was feeling going into the England game. Um, was we've got a team who aren't scared of England. They're maybe not even scared of Twickenham anymore. We can definitely go down there and win this game. But all it takes is a moment of madness. The referee gets a card out, and that's the whole game completely changed. Um, and with where our where our kind of injury list was as well with the depth, you know, it's a worry because you're not maybe trusting the bench as it turns out i should have trusted the bench um i thought the bench were pretty good against england um did it my uh, my theory from the autumn uh wind up was you would never put chris harris on the bench because you don't want to sit and do damage limitation when you're down 20 points because it never occurred to me that we would bring him on to defend a lead which of course is the perfect thing for bringing on johnny gray and chris <laughs> harris off the bench if you've got a lead to defend but that's just like that's not a situation I'm used to, so it never occurred to me. Which is why, which is why Chris Harris only got four minutes at the end, yeah. <laughs> rather than a longer time. I think Nick's watching it though. I think it, it kind of struck me, and I think, I you know, my, my youngest has only seen Scotland lose to England once, which I constantly have to remind him that this isn't normal. None of this is this isn't this isn't how this this normally goes. But we have that in my house too. Yeah, I, you know, and. You know, we're going to win this, and I was like, going, "Shh, quiet you." But watching it and watching the defense, I thought, "No, I can see." It's hard because with watching it with a, with a kind of de- 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 watching with any detachment when you're in the middle of the game. But the, the defense looks so much more solid, and I, you don't have that feeling anymore. You obviously you're on the edge of your seat a little bit, but there is an element of we're probably going to see this out 
you know, especially when with England's attack, you're going. We probably this is going. We're going to we win a turnover here. We'll probably see out. They might get a penalty in three points, but it it's hard to see them getting a try from this with the way we're defending. And that's it feels an uncomfortable feeling to be like that, but it, it it's quite a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's a very disconcerting feeling. We're not used to it. I mean, you know, it's Scotland. We snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, not the other way around. Um, but, I, th- yeah, I just thought they played with remarkable composure, especially in the last 10 minutes on Saturday. And nobody nobody flapped because that's when traditionally we've given away penalties or, you know, we've lost a ball. And, I mean, just something as silly as I think it's the, it's the lead-up to the first Doohan try. And... Owen Farrell got the ball and knocked the ball out of Finn Russell's hands. I'm going to admit at this point, I pretty much had a cushion in front of my face because I was, well, it's Scotland, England. It's terrifying. Um, And, you know, the ball ends up down the other end of the pitch and Doohan runs it in. I was a bit like, where, where has all of this come from? But it was just that, you know, they, there was an error and they came straight back from it. And I haven't seen a Scotland team do that for a while. And it's obviously, it's been building. And then, I mean, Townsend's record against England is absolutely superb. Because it, it, it's like your youngest. I think he's only lost to them once. Yeah. And it's it's crazy. I mean, we, let's talk about that Duhan try. I mean, it's like it's like a Renaissance painting. Every single time, <laughs> I'm still watching it now and spotting new things in it. I mean, it's the fact that you watch it and you think, actually, the fact that he was able to do that was in part to Finn Russell because Finn Russell manipulated the English defence over to that side of the pitch. So everybody was really bunched up and they, you know, the English defence made a mistake by not fanning out again when they had all the time in the world after they cleared it from the base of the ruck. But even then you've got, you know, Doohan running it in, switching the ball in his hand, fending people off. His shoelaces were untied the entire time as well. I love that. And, and then, do you know what he didn't do in that try? He didn't what? steamroll over the top of anyone. No, he no. didn't. Which is, which is what everyone says is the only thing that Duhan van der Merwe can do. And he, and he, and he scored a try from 60 metres out without doing it. Did you hear him in the post-match interview? And he was saying something about he didn't know he had a sidestep like that. <laughs> and I was just what a time to find out. Floor laughing. Well, I did think, you know, that's one for the haters who said he only steamrolls through people. Because it's absolutely... I mean, well, what you've just been saying, Cammy. I keep watching it, and it's his body angles and his. What really struck me was his peripheral vision and his awareness. The and coordination here. to sidestep yeah. one way, transfer the ball from one hand to the other, and, and hand somebody off. off in basically one movement is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I know Don Brandt's taken a bit of criticism, which I think is actually quite unfair because I think by the time he actually caught up to Duhan, he was absolutely knackered. And yeah. he couldn't, if he'd gone in low, he'd have been on the ground. He was just ruined. This this is it. Like, as much as he didn't steamroller over any of them, he could have if he needed to. Mm. Like, I don't think people understand how hard it is to stop someone like that once he's got 30 metres to run at you. So there wasn't, yeah. the, I don't think, I think the, the blame going on Dombrand or on Van Poortfleet or whoever is a little bit unfair because I think the England team as a whole let that happen by not having their defence organised. Yeah. So you can't say, oh, that one person didn't make a tackle. Because actually, when Duhan van der Merver's running for 30 metres, he's 105 kilos and he goes real quick. Like, good and he luck had that line in his sights and nothing was getting between it. I don't think a tank would have stopped him. 
And you can't even really blame Owen Farrell because George Turner just kind of stood in his way and blocked him. So it wasn't even really his fault that he didn't get involved in it and defending Probably it. prevented him from getting a card. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, and, and then the other thing that everyone then noticed was the fact that Finn Russell had got up and chased down Owen Farrell <laughs> to take the mick out of him. Which and was, I think, was mistaken identity, was it not? Was it yeah, it wasn't Curry that you wanted, so, actually. So we thought that in in that previous phase where Farrell had taken the ball off him, Farrell absolutely smashed him and took mm. the ball off him. Yeah, uh, and then someone, pass. someone gave Finn a bit of chat about getting smashed, and he thought it was Farrell. So he chased Farrell down and shoved him and said, <laughs> so he said, he can't remember, but he said something along the lines of, what are you saying now? You've smashed me, but you're scared to tackle him. <laughs> and it turns out that the person who was giving him grief on the floor wasn't Farrell. <laughs> so Farrell's just like, what are you talking about? He had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Which just, I think is yeah. brilliant. It's just like all round Finn and Farrell. And I think they have quite a good relationship now. That's what I've heard, that they got on really well in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they do get on well. And I think that was, in a way, it was kind of England's downfall. You look at a couple of the times when Finn Russell got the ball away and manipulated the English defence, it was Farrell was flying up to try and smash him. Mm. And Finn had realised that was happening. And then all of a sudden, Farrell's out of position. Marcus Smith doesn't know what he's doing and and the whole thing falls apart. It, it, did it feel, wasn't I mean, just Farrell, it was Genge as well. And they were clearly targeting Russell. Yeah, they put a lot of late shots on him. Like I think mm. they obviously thought that if they could rattle Finn, get him off his rhythm and, and get him forcing stuff, that that was going to make a difference, which it clearly didn't. And I tell you what, like Farrell might be a little bit bigger than Finn, so if he's coming out of the line, it's fairly uncomfortable for Finn. But unfortunately for Marcus Smith, Siuri Tuopoloto is a good deal bigger than him. <laughs> and that's who's getting the pop from Finn if Farrell's rush, rushing out the line. So yeah. I think it kind of backfired them a little bit. Mm. I think the thing is, Rory, as well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Finn had an okay game. I would say seven, seven out of ten at a push, if we're, you know, if, if we're really thinking about it. Um, but the entire Scotland team, it was such a team outside of Doohan and, and you know, two really good tries that were largely down to him doing the hard work to get the ball over the line outside of Doohan it would be hard to pick out any one individual player from the rest of that Scotland lineup out or the bench who you said they made such a great individual con- they pulled the team up by their bootstraps and I think that's a mark of the progress Scotland have made as a team is that it's hard to pick anybody out other than Doohan who really stood out but that's because it was such a good team performance yeah, I mean, it's almost um, it's it's almost I guess it's hard to find someone who didn't who didn't play well. I was sitting thinking, writing a list of some made some notes. Sorry, Johnny, um, <laughs> of you know guys that played well, and actually, I've just basically written down the whole team. Of uh, you know, I thought Schumann maybe had a slightly quiet game, but uh, in the loose. Um, but then it did seem to me the like the forwards and the backs kind of got put back into their the kind of traditional roles a bit the ball was was going wide a lot you know there were the um Fagerson was the top carrier in the pack I think but the rest of the pack didn't didn't carry that much I mean they were they were trucking it up but they weren't you know they weren't busting holes um to make meters maybe until like Jack Dempsey came on and I think yeah it was a very a very consistent team performance it reminded me um 
to an extent of the All Blacks game in the autumn, but certainly the Argentina game where Scotland suddenly seemed to know what they want to do, which is quite a scary, scary thought because we're so used to talking about them kind of looking a bit clueless or we weren't quite sure what Tunis' plan was. But I think the Argentina game and the England game at the weekend are kind of the clearest indication this is what he wants to do. He's going to use the forwards to, to kind of pin the defence and then he's going to go wide once you know let his counter attackers run and get in get in behind them and shift it i mean that when you watch if you watch the this you said you watched the squidge video i was watching that earlier as well and his kind of breakdown of that last try um when you realize exactly um, you know whether consciously or not they were they were doing that why the space was where it was um and that's kind of as a result of of finn kind of pulling the strings um to to get you know knowing he's mature enough now to know when it when it's on to to spin that that lunar miracle pass which still makes me twitch um i think the the difference with the fin thing and the reason why some people are saying he played really well and some people seem to think he had a stinker when it actually in reality it's somewhere in the middle is that the last few times where we've gone out and won calcutta cups with no controversy no penalty tries or anything like that is what Finn did really well on Saturday is orchestrated everything. He ran the game really, really well, which is what you want your 10 to do. Previously, we've relied on him to orchestrate everything and execute everything. And actually, his execution on Saturday probably wasn't as good as it normally is. He still ran the game really well. He put the right people in the right places at the right times to do what they needed to do, but he didn't have to go out and also do all the execution work himself which is probably just as well, because I thought that was a little bit off the boil. But I think that's the difference, is that now he could just run the game and people around him will do what the actual rugby work that needs to be done. Like Sione's kicking was brilliant. The forwards carrying was really, really good. George Horn's cheat lines for that last try were absolutely fantastic. And that's all bits and pieces of execution that we don't have to rely on Finn to do. Yeah, and, and Nick, it's, it's strange talking about... Uh you know, a Scotland win like that and not mentioning Stuart Hogg. And I think, looking back, he was largely anonymous in the game and that's not a criticism. His kicking was really good, his passing was really good, but the, he, we weren't relying on him, I guess, to kind of produce some bit of magic. We had a bit of Duhan magic, but generally we weren't relying on that individual brilliance. And and you wonder whether or not that just quietly allows Stuart Hogg to get on with his work and, and to do those kicks without the being encumbered by the burdens of captaincy or being the only player that's going to kind of like produce something that will get us a try because maybe he's slowly starting to trust those around him to do it. There weren't any kind of mad runs up blind alleys at the weekend. I hadn't actually even thought about that until you said it. And that's so true that he was just doing what he needed to do and doing it very, very well. But yeah, no running up blind alleys. No, because you have sometimes before seen him and he, He's got to the point where he obviously he looks really frustrated and he just does something because nobody else is going to do anything. And it just, I keep saying this, it just seemed to be a very calm performance. And, you know, everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing and everybody executed it really well. And, yeah, Finn ran the game incredibly well. Hopefully he can do the same this Saturday. Fingers crossed. It's almost, Johnny, as though fullback shouldn't be captain. I'm not getting into this with you. Absolutely <laughs> not. Unless they're Gavin I, I do have to say, actually, that Jamie Ritchie is really growing into being captain, though. 
Yeah, I, I thought he was so. great. And I was I really, really liked the fact that in his post-match on Saturday, he did make a point of saying, yeah, that's that, that's this week done. That's the win we wanted. Now we've got another job to do next week. Because that's, like we said earlier, that's what feels like it could be the real turning point. Is you know, we all thought the video in 2018 of them all singing Flair of Scotland with their shirts off and stuff was hilarious. And we enjoyed it because we've been waiting for that for a really long time. And then Xander last year said they tore the backside off it was was funny and I think we enjoyed that as well. But we now have to get to the point where we can enjoy that without letting it ruin the next two games, which is what I hope it feels like is happening now. Yeah. I mean, I think at the back of my mind, the whole way through this Six Nations is that we've got Ireland and South Africa in our World Cup group, and that is not going to be pretty. And so they need to, yeah, they need to develop the consistency and the presence of mind that you win one game, great, that's fantastic, that's brilliant, on to the next, without, yeah, without any fuss or drama. Yeah. Very quickly, then, because we're coming to the end of the main podcast now, um, before we move on to our Patreon episode. Um, I'll get your predictions for the weekend. I know this is tempting fate. I know people will accuse us of jinxing things. It's a stressful thing to do, I know. Rory, I'll start with you. What's your prediction for the weekend? Um, I think. I mean, I think. I think Scotland will win, but I think it will be. I think it will be close. I think it. My like my dream scenario is that they they sort of play the same stuff as they played against England, and blow Wales away by twenty points. Because I don't think Wales are as good as England, but I also think that it'll be a completely different Wales um, that we see in terms of attitude. And Will Gatland always seems to have an answer to everything Tooney does. If he can find a way to stop Scotland from playing the game that they now clearly want to play, what what are we going to do? I mean, we can't batter holes with our pack. Um, can we rely on goal kicking? Not sure. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I still think that at home, in front of a home crowd, with the with the Doddy thing, um, I think Scotland have got a couple of tries in them, and hopefully that'll be enough to build up a lead that Dan Bigger can chip away at, but just fall short of at the end. Next, do you wanna do you wanna have a, a prediction for the weekend? I'm going with Rory, and adding into that, you know, off the back a crowd, everything to do with Doddy, and off the back of a a pretty epic victory last weekend. But I, I think I do think it will be close. Hopefully Scotland win it. But I'm not going to jinx it. Okay. Johnny? Yeah, I've had to do this already because I had to do it on Blood and Mud on Monday night. Um, so I'm going to stay consistent as much as it pains me to do it because I feel like this is us all setting ourselves up for a really horrible afternoon. But I'll see now what's on Monday. I'll stick with it. I said Scotland by eight. Catapult. I think everyone's worrying. I think everyone's worrying too much about Warren Gatland. I think Gregor Townsend bored him during the Lions tour, talking about all the documentaries he'd watched so much <laughs> that Warren Gatland just switched off whenever he was talking about tactics and just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so it's completely now misunderstood anything that, that Townsend does. I do have so a I very think... quick question for everybody. Go Let on. me. I'll, you you give me who you think's going to win, and then you, I'll give you. I think. Well, I think Scotland. I think Scotland will win. I'm not, I, and I think a bit like I said last week. I think it's either it's either, we're either going to win very well or it's going to be a very tight game. But I think we'll win, 
I just I can't land on I can't land at this point on because of the second game thing. If this wasn't the second game, I'd, I'd, I'd it'd be easier to call. But I think because it's the second game thing hanging over us, I can't quite call it. But go on, Johnny. What's your question? Okay, so I've been thinking about this today, and I've I really don't want to tempt fate with this, but I can't get this like hypothetical out of my head. We'll know by the time we kick off on Saturday night whether or not there's been a bonus point win in Dublin, right? If Scotland have got the ball and they're six points up when the clock goes red, but they've only scored three tries, would you go for a fourth or would you just take the four points? Go for a fourth. If you're close, oh, if you're close enough you... that if you're close enough that turning it over and conceding a try costs the game. In the hope that oh, you're going to have to win the tournament on points and not by just beating everybody. Yeah. If you That's win it on if you if you win the slam, then it doesn't matter. Bonus points don't yeah. matter. That's how they designed yeah. it because you get bonus points for the slam. But we've still got to play Ireland and France after this. So even if we win on Saturday, there's no guarantee that we're going to win the slam. <laughs> I really can't yeah. decide. I think and, uh, it's only in my head because of watching Edinburgh against Saracens the other week, and I can't decide what I would do. I think it's horrible. And there's I can't even like, what I'd want them to do. What was it that game in 2010 in Cardiff? When we were up. Yes, in like the 84th Ooh. minute. Yes. Oh, yeah. So actually, no, I'm changing my answer. Kick the ball out and take the win. <laughs> yeah. I think, don't I think select, take, take the win. Yeah, don't select Henry Pergos. That's my that's my answer. <laughs> Look, that's it tell us. him what to do when you send him on. Well, that's true, yes. <laughs> Very clear instructions. Have someone with a transistor radio in the coach's box. <laughs> So, look, that's it for us for this week for the main podcast. Uh, patrons, you can hang around. We're going to be on for another 40 minutes to an hour, just having uh, a bit more of a chat about the Calcutta Cup, a bit more of a chat about the Wales game and the Six Nations first opening weekend in general. But for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Johnny, Rory and Nix. Goodbye. Bye, all. Goodbye.